If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Dominic Swantoski. I'm the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of TroutBitten.com. So tonight we're going to talk about something that we deal with every day on the water. All anglers must make decisions about tippet. What size and strength? What type of tippet? And how long should the tippet section be? Because what might seem like a small decision here can have a big impact on the presentation of the fly leading to failure or success. Now, some of these decisions are almost right and wrong, uh, meaning there's a way to do it that works and a way that just does not work. However, I think there's a lot more room for personal preference, style, and the situations in these tippet decisions uh, then there is a right or wrong way to do it. And as we talk things out with the Trout Pit and crew here tonight, I suspect that there'll be a lot of variance in our choices for each situation. I've often said that the leader is the most important piece of gear that we have. I think it's often more consequential than the rod, the fly line, or even the fly itself. And of course, at the tail end of that leader is the tippet. So I know that when I got into fly fishing, the leader stuff confused me and learning to adjust tippet sections to suit the conditions seemed complex. Those adjustments and those decisions about tippets are something I still experiment with, and no matter how long we all fly fish, the options there are really never-ending. The truth is I built my own leaders from the start. I tied the blood knots and followed some recipes. So leader by leader, I began to understand how butt sections, tapers, and tippets all worked together. All of that will be great stuff for another podcast, I suppose, and I think most of us here are leader junkies, so a full discussion on leader design is more than warranted, and it'll happen eventually. But tonight, it's all about tippet. I expect this discussion to get a bit technical, and that's a good thing. We'll set up some situations for dry fly fishing, for nymphing, and for streamer fishing, and we'll talk about decisions we make along with what adjustments might apply situationally. So let me introduce my trout and friends here with me this evening. Here is 
Matt Grobe. Matt, what's the most memorable trout you ever hooked but didn't land? I got that question for everybody. You ready? Not the biggest, dude. The most memorable trout. Didn't land him. This was a big fish. <laughs> <laughs> they often are. Yep. So Bill Dell was actually with me. And nice. I, I'm not sure he'll even remember this, but him and Greg came out to visit me for two weeks mm-hmm. when I was out here in Montana. We did a 20-mile float, which sounds fairly long, but it uh, it wasn't at the flows of the freestone. It depends we were on fishing. how fast the water's going. Yeah, right. it was uh, mid mid July, and the runoff was you know curving down, but it was still moving. And uh, we got into some good action. And at the tail end of the float, at the takeout, we saw the shuttle yeah. guy, the shuttle service guy. And I ran up on the bank, gave him more money, and had him run the truck down to the next takeout. I think I had nice. like a six-beer buzz going. We had moved some fish. <laughs> so we floated towards, you know, we're, we're approaching 32 miles a river in a yeah. day. And towards the end of it, I was chucking a, a headbanger sculpin against the bank. Nice. And I was in the back of the boat and had a large upper 20s gator mm. brown trout mm. come out. And it was just, I could see it clear as day. Comes out, his mouth opens up just like a, an alligator. Smashes the headbanger. I set the hook. Two head shakes. Mm. Headbanger comes flying back at mm. my head. Hits me. And the brown trout bit through the, the wire. Get up. Oh bit my. straight through the articulated through the wire. Out. Right, oh. the articulation wire. But I had them like one, two. Holy cow. And it wasn't, it didn't like malfunction. It didn't come unthreaded. Legitimately bit right through. He just beat your gear. Yeah. So. Wow. And I'll never forget it because that was the biggest wow. fish I've moved on that river for oh sure since I moved out. Had you gone back Jeez. and tried to find it? Right. I haven't floated that section since Bill and I did a long time okay. ago. Um, Trout that big's got to be gone by now. I mean, long gone yeah, by now. Expired. Dead. Yeah. So anyway, that's my story. Mm. Wow. All right. So Austin Dando is here with us tonight. Dude, <laughs> what's, your, uh, what's your most memorable trout you ever hooked but did not land? My story takes place in Montana also, actually. Mm. And I might have even briefly spoken on this story before, but... I lived in Montana for a little bit, and I'd get there at the beginning of June when runoff was was pretty heavy. So I'd yeah. spend most of June fishing tributaries that uh, were a little less affected. And there was one specific tributary that I uh, frequented, and I came to find a very large brown trout rising underneath a cut bank that you'd walk through the middle of the river and you'd think there's no fish in here, there's nothing here. But they're all tucked under these deep, you know, three-foot cuts. Yeah, And one day I found one slightly coming up right off the side and sipping a dry and going back down under. So I watched it for a little bit, timed it, put on a pattern. I casted my fly right into the underbank. It came up, ate it, hooked him, lost him, disappeared, and never saw him again. So I went back the next weekend and got there before light and decided to do the same thing. Except this time I stayed on the exact same side that the fish was tucked under. Mm. And I casted my fly down over top of the bank. I couldn't see the fly. And I just listened to hear the sip. Mm. Make the cast. Fly starts drifting right against the bank. I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm trying to picture where the fly is within the drift. Yeah. I hear a sip. Rise. Eats a fly. Set the hook. Comes out. I see him. He's huge. 
hmm. gets off again. <laughs> I did this one more time, very similar situation, until it never ate my dry fly again, and either outsmarted me or, or moved on. But I never is that the one that you one. dropped the you dropped the pin on on that for me to go find them at some point, right? Yeah, I think I did. Yeah, is that right? <laughs> yeah, uh, Matt. I don't know if this is my most memorable fish, but Matt, you had told me that on one of our favorite rivers, where you had land landed a whiskey, or maybe lost a whiskey. This is so. This is over a decade ago. You know, it was up in a braided section, and so I was like, I'm gonna go get them. And I thought that was the namer. No, this no, is uh, this is a this, this is, is one of the more prominent freestoners, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, or limestoners, yeah. however you want to say. It. I, I fished that spot yesterday. If we're talking about it, the same section, <laughs> I ended up writing a story call, that I called The End about about this. And this is back in like 2017, I probably wrote the story. I just, and I'm not going to try to go through the whole thing, but I, I just, I got up real early, you know, I was out, I was walking in at dawn. I knew right where I wanted to be and everything kind of came together. It was on a streamer and, um, you know, it's up against that log that's parallel with the bank and just the perfect situation and the fish ate right like he was supposed to and I had him on and I lost him. And that's it. It wasn't the biggest fish I've ever lost. Sure. But it that was a big fish though. It, for that river. Absolutely. That, that was a big Just fish. Top tier fish. Yep. And uh I think the fact that I did write the story about it kind of solidified it all in my memory too. Sure. You know? And that's I'll look cool. back and I'll read that and I can just feel it. I can just feel that experience. And you just brought me back to it. Yeah, right. Well, I, you I, landed them. <laughs> no, no remember? Yeah, your net. That's that, right. That might have been the better fish. That yeah. might have been the better story, but I'm glad you said it. I almost forgot <laughs> about that that fish. Yeah. And that one I had in my net where it flopped out. Yeah, yeah. Right? Oh, but it man. was it would have been the biggest fish. I still to, to this day believe that was a two-footer. Mm. Right at the, like, 24 on the dot. And in yeah. that river would have been the big, just a monster yeah. for that I river. I know, right. And I hooked him. But I didn't. I didn't come close to, to landing him. Not like you did. Not flopping out of the net. Did That's you go neat. back for him? Did I? No. I mean, I, dude, I've that log's still there. But it's, is it really? Well, that's not true. I mean, it's up on the bank and downstream, probably about fifty yards. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And I think that I think it's that same log. But no, uh, Austin, when you and I night fished some of that, we were fishing next to that log. Yeah, multiple times for a reason. The, the the bottom end of that braid. That's right. And then things change, and especially when there are big logs in the system, and especially braided sections. You know, it it did. It changed. And that that's, that's so those sweet spots are great story gone. But yeah, great moment. Hey Trevor, what about you, buddy? Hey, you just got off the stream. Do you have uh, <laughs> yeah the most memorable <laughs> I did, fish I did ever? Miss a couple <laughs> ever from tonight. <laughs> no, there was nothing incredibly memorable tonight about the fish I lost. I had Jack in the backpack tonight, yeah. which always adds, oh, they, adds dude, an that's element. Cool. So yeah. this was Jack's first time out this year. Yeah. And man, is he he might be my best backpack fisherman ever. Um, Evelyn was, <laughs> she was up for the running because she would just fall asleep in the backpack. Yeah. But Jack just loves it. He stayed locked in for four hours of fishing yeah. and we didn't catch a fish for at least an hour after we got there, so... Um, now, what does locked was, in mean for what's what's he about four years old? He's three. Okay. Yeah, so he was watching every cast. <laughs> he was interested in everything going on. He <laughs> wanted to know what was happening. He kept yeah. asking questions. He noticed all the flies that were hatching, the birds that were flying. Wow, that and is then good. when we caught fish, he wanted to touch each one. He asked about what kind of fish it was. He was just very dialed into what was going on and oh, loved. And I love that. Yeah, I mean. We just got home and 
Mm-hmm. He couldn't stop talking about it the whole way home. He didn't fall asleep. So <laughs> that's great. He'll fall asleep now. Yeah. Well, that'll be a memory heat. Yeah. He's, you think he'll remember it? Do you guys remember stuff from when you were four years old? I do. I, do you? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I can't say that Damn. I do. Kindergarten was about my first yes. memory. Four years old? Yeah. I know people that think they remember stuff at four. Huh. <laughs> I like that. I know people that think they remember. Think they do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I think man, for me, a, what's that was easy a dream. is that was a dream. <laughs> I moved when I was three, and so I okay. like yeah. there was a there was like a formative event around that time. So I, mm-hmm. I feel like that created and that that follows biology. You know, if you have like a big kind of time stamp on a particular time in life, sure. Yeah, but it was fun. It was super fun. I'm just kind of still kind of glowing from from the I evening with him. It was yep. super fun. Mm. That, that's all we need. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's all, all you need, need right? That's yeah. that's way more important than a fish you might have lost. It really is. It is, yeah. Super special bonus. Is. It yep. is. And, and we lost more fish than we should have because, frankly, just balancing his weight in the backpack yeah. is difficult. And so there are times that, I'm off balanced when I should be on, you know, balanced and I can't chase fish downstream as easily. There were a couple of fish that got in, got us into bad positions. Yeah. Um, but I hear that. Yeah. It was super fun. Uh, I don't care about your most memorable trout then. I mean, that's, I think that's a really cool. Right. Yeah. Know, well, I was already good. feeling insecure about my stories because I don't have any, <laughs> all the fish I caught in Montana, I landed. So. Hey oh, now. Uh, hey now. That's what he does. <laughs> Come on. All right, then let's move into the listener questions. Uh, I have a couple this time. And let me say uh, thanks to everyone out there for the recent flood of questions coming in. Now, we've been doing a few more of these questions this season. I guess that's why we have so many coming in. That's good. Uh, now, I always get a kick out of how far Trout Pitten reaches and, and being reminded of that. And the podcast, the videos, and the articles have always had, the, had an audience that pretty much rounds the globe. The internet is pretty cool that way. And I think it's uh, these questions that come in for the podcast, though, because people often include their location that have most recently been a reminder of how far this trout pitting project really does reach. It's fun to see. So this question is from William Griffith in the UK. William wrote this to us a few days ago uh, as a follow-up to our Waiting Skills podcast. What was that? Two podcasts ago. All right, so Trevor, you know your job. You're the reader. I do. You want to read this one? (laughs) I do, and I, I would even take a stab at his accent. Except mm. <laughs> my wife says all my accents devolve into Australian, and my Australian accent's terrible. So well, next week I think I'm, I'm we not going to Austra- do it. <laughs> I have to lay out for next week, and I think we actually have a guy from Australia next week. Hey, so you could nice. you could practice that. <laughs> I'll test not. you out. <laughs> okay. Hi, big fan of the pod. I have a question that I'd love answered by the guys. If you ever get a chance, that would be cool. Based on your advice, I'm trying to be less static in the water and work more of the river. However, in doing so, I feel like I am making a lot more commotion in the water and potentially spooking the fish. My river is particularly difficult to wade and slippery. How do you find the right balance between working the river but not spooking the fish? How close can you really get to a trout before it's spooked? Thanks, Will, from Wales. It's a great question. It is. Will? Yeah, what do you think, Matt? Um, well, I would first tell Will what kind of river you fish in, right? I think for me personally, I'm always thinking about the makeup of the the river because, yeah, you know, I think in 
UK and I think a chalk stream and maybe I'm, right. you know, I'm totally don't know where you're fishing. Well, Austin could tell you. He's think, the world traveler now. He'll tell you about what yeah, the UK you rivers are. <laughs> Anyway, but you have to, you have to put in, (laughs) you have to put into perspective where you're fishing. Are you fishing a spring Creek? Are you fishing a freestone? Are you fishing a tailwater? If there's a lot of velocity and movement and riffles and pools, I think we all can agree. You can get a lot more aggressive in that scenario. And to be quite Mm -hmm. honest, that's what most of us fish, right? That's what most of us enjoy to fish. I think Mm -hmm. is, is those riffly waters with the boulders and the pocket water. And that's kind of our jam. And so, we can penetrate into that without spooking fish as much as, say, a spring creek. If I was fishing a spring creek, man, I don't even know. I, our tactics, I guess, from a waiting standpoint, I would say I would back off those tactics and mm, yeah. put more of a stealth approach in along the banks and, and, and can I walk on the bank and spot and stalk. That's kind of the spring creek jam. Um, so... It's important to what what type of water are you fishing, um, yeah. Will, and then you know how close can you get? Once again, I think we've we've tried to elaborate on that on certain podcasts in the past. I think it, it depends on the water level and the clarity, and back to the the type of water. You know, all that kind of contributes into into how close I'll feel comfortable getting to the fish. I'd say the lower, right, the less likely i am to get close that's just sure. a high level yeah. summaries summarizing it i know we all agree with that and, and like like you just said we we had a we did we i just looked this up as you were talking about it. october 16th 2022 the podcast was the spooky trout what scares fish and how to avoid spooking them and i know we talked about it like you can get real you can often get a lot closer than you think you can than many people think you can but yes the water conditions certainly matter as fly anglers and tires, we understand the value of having the right tool for the job. Avidmax.com offers over 20,000 products and the knowledge to help you find the right tool for your job, whether that be at the tying bench or on the water. Listeners of the Trout Pitten Podcast receive a special one-time discount code at avidmax.com. Enter the code TB10 at checkout on full-priced items to save 10% off your order. Orders over $25 ship for free, so you can put more gas in your tank or beer in your cooler. For all things fly fishing and tying, elevate your game with Avid Max. Imagine if someone put as much time, thought, and effort into designing fishing apparel as you put into finding fish. Well, someone did. Squala Fly Fishing builds waders, jackets, shirts, and pants so well-designed, dependable, and comfortable you hardly notice them. When you're wearing Squala, you're never hot or wet or unreasonably cold. So you can focus on more important things like fishing. They don't make gear for everybody. They make gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squalafishing.com. Then use the code TROUTBITTEN10, that's the number 10, for 10% off your first order from Squala. What else, guys? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when we think about our approach to all of us, we often talk about fishing upstream. So yeah. if, if you're an angler that's, that's using a technique where you're working downstream, that's going to be especially difficult. But assuming you're working upstream, let's say, yeah, regardless of clarity and let's say substrate on the bottom or, or uh, water type, it's always important to just make sure you work the water that you have in front of you really well before you move. So 
let's say you're fishing upstream and you can cover 20 feet and you can cover that 20 feet really well around you. Well, if you have, if you make a 10 foot move forwards, Mm, yeah. you're still in a fairly safe zone because you've covered that yeah. water. Now you get to reach an additional 10 feet than you were before mm-hmm. or even more. Uh, so always just make sure you kind of check your area before you walk. That's one thing Sloop always uh, kind of ingrained in me. Make sure you cast where you walk first. Um, you should text them and remind them of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd also say... Another, <laughs> another singer for, for another singer. <laughs> I promise this you all a sloop singer. podcast is coming. <laughs> um, it's also a, if you do have a slower flow, clearer conditions, it's a good opportunity to use potentially longer range tactics like a dry dropper rig that yes. you can potentially work up ahead of yourself beyond the water that you may have disturbed in your movement. And also I see it, I see and I also personally know the challenge of moving slowly but just take your time make slow moves don't fish while you move but move slowly and then take a stop allow the water to settle down and then begin to fish you know yeah. take a more methodical approach we talked about this a good bit in the waiting podcast is and I know that's why he's uh, or I know that's what he's referring to we were saying like keep moving Wait, kind of dovetailing on what you said, Austin. Let's say my range is 20, let's say 24 feet. I find myself fishing 24 feet all the time. Mm-hmm. I used to, I, I still do kind of look up and, and see how much leader I have out. Whatever, I keep coming back to about 24 feet is my, I call it my comfort distance. And so I'm going to keep fishing 24 feet away. And then I'll take a few steps. Then I'm 24 feet, 24 feet. So you really can approach them pretty dang close if you're coming up behind them. If you're fishing upstream, like Austin said. And I'm going to say like 20 feet. If there's any movement to the water, you can be about 20 feet away. I don't care if it's low and super clear. But if you see trout spooking ahead of you, then the water probably is lower, clearer, and then flatter. And there isn't much riffle to it. If you see trout spooking, obviously then you need to be, I don't know, 24, 25, even 30 feet away. And maybe you need to change tactics to let that happen. Whatever your distance is that you're effectively casting and presenting and catching fish if you just kind of continue going that direction then you continue to cover new water hit new fish and have new opportunities that's sort of my always been my approach i learned that by reading george harvey you know the george harvey uh memories and memories patterns and tactics is that the name of it i read that uh, about a month ago i I brought that out and reread it and that was one of his points in there just keep working upstream that's good all right, so one more question here. This one has come in so many times that I'm not putting any one name to it. So we talk about the mono rig a lot. This long, tight line leader and all the things we can do with it from nymphing to streamers, dry dropper, and even straight dry flies has become synonymous with trout bitten. It is extremely versatile. It's not all we use, but we use it a lot. So people find all kinds of other uses for it too, all, all kinds of applications. And I get the following question a lot. Let's talk about the trout bitten standard mono rig, what I know we all use most or something very close to it. If you want to fish for steelhead, let's say, and this is the question, if you want to fish for steelhead, let's say, and use a six weight rod, do you go thicker on the butt section? And on the other hand, if you buy a new two weight fly rod marketed specifically for euro nipping, do you go lighter on the butt section of this mono rig? Essentially, the question is, should you match the butt section of the monorig to the rod, just like we do a fly line to the fly rod? What do you think? That's a really good question. 
I get it a lot. I never really thought of it like that in those terms with the fly weight and right. the and the mono pounds. You know, I think that's a and I'll just speak from my own experience. My preference with that has nothing to do with the rod, like the three weight. Right. I, I like a I like a ten foot three weight in most circumstances. And that doesn't allow me to go down to <clears throat> twelve pound because of any performance stuff, right? I, I personally right. don't like 12 pound mono. I'm a 15 pound guy. Um, yeah. and I use 15 pound, yeah, I mean, 15 pound butt yeah. section uh-huh. to my cider. And then I taper my cider. I make my own ciders and then the tip, it follows. Um, gotcha. and I use the 15 pound, not from a performance standpoint because of durability, the way it feels in my fingers. Yeah. And it, that's it. Like I like the yeah. power behind it mm-hmm. and I've yeah. done eight eight pound, I've done 12 pound. And because I'm more of a, I'm such a visual strike detector as opposed to feel, right? We can go get into that, but I'm I'm Mm -hmm. more of a visual guy. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that eight pound or 12, that doesn't really give me an advantage. I want something that's durable. So I do 15 pound regardless of if I'm fishing a five weight, a two weight or a three weight. That's where I am too. Whatever. I'm a 20 pound butt section guy. And I fish for steelhead, and even even on a seven weight, I use the same mono rig. And if I do go down to a two weight, which is not my style of rod, but when I'm testing things out, I still stay with the same twenty pound butt section. I love experimenting with stuff, same as you, Matt. But no, there's no need to match the mono rig to the fly rod size. I don't think. Why do you think that is? Because I think, I mean, I think the misconception is like. Oh gosh, right. like a six weight so different than a three weight in terms of its flexibility. Is it that the tip sections are not that different from each other? I think why it is, is you are not going to get that much difference between a 20 pound butt section, uh, power, performance, thickness, weight, uh, compared to an eight pound or even a six pound butt section, power, performance, weight. It, there's almost, the, the difference is negligible. It's enough that we care that it's, it's powerful. The 20 pound is more powerful. Yeah. We say that a lot. However, it's nothing, the difference is nothing compared to when you, you compare the weight of a two-weight fly line, or I mean, versus a six-weight fly line. Exactly. Those fly lines weigh a lot, and, and the, the six-weight weighs a lot more than a two-weight. Do you fish a, the mono rig dom on a six-weight regularly? No, I, because I haven't, that, well, that's not true. Yes, I do it at night. I do yeah, it at night, I was even say. though okay. yep, same. Yeah, at night. Although I should say, just and we've, I think we've highlighted this before, but I actually use a shorter leader and a glowing, a glow in the dark fly line for kind of my standard baseline mm. setup. Gotcha. But as soon as that's not working and they don't want to come up to the top, and I really want to present things underneath, that's when I'll often start to use the mono sure. rig, and that's all on a, on a six weight, and it is my standard setup. Matt. Gotcha. Same. I've always found six weights kind of sloppy for some reason personally, and I fish for trout. Right, I'm a trout bum. Right. And I just never, I, I always feel like they're sloppy. And the only time I use a bigger rod is when I'm throwing streamers out of the boat. I do have a seven weight with sink tip line and all that fun stuff. But Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Right tool for the job. There yeah. you go. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think as you get into different rigs and different types of fish you're fishing for with the six weight, yeah. a lot of times, at least you know, with our, with my night fishing with a six weight on the mono rig, I'm fishing a very different weight fly. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so 
that also changes the dynamic that I might otherwise notice if I was trying to present like a dry dropper rig or something like that versus a streamer or a pair of heavier nymphs that I might be fishing mm-hmm. at nighttime. So I think there's nuance to it, but I, 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 oh, yeah. I think it's actually kind of interesting because I've never, I'm not on the receiving end of a lot of these questions and I didn't right. know that this was asked so often. And I think it's interesting mm-hmm. that we all agree <laughs> independently, even though well, none Bill of us here. have ever been. Yeah, right. Bill, <laughs> we can just assume Bill doesn't agree. But, Bill, Bill's fishing six pound mono with a seven X tippet right now. Yeah, on 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 a seven weight rod. He likes his thirty mm-hmm. pound OPST. Fishing for brookies, by the way. Yeah, two X two X floral, which is stronger than his butt section. Yeah, right. <laughs> Makes a heck of a bow and arrow cast. <laughs> All right, my friends, let's do this. Let's talk about tippet. I'd like to run through three scenarios: streamers, dry flies, and nymphs. And use these scenarios to lead us through a good talk about tippet decisions and options. But first, I'm readdressing one of my pet peeves in the industry. You guys have heard me go through this before. Just because in this case, this is going to come up in our conversation. And we need to be clear. Don't want to confuse people. We're about to talk of fluorocarbon and nylon. And both of these tippets, which you can buy in the fly shop, both of these tippet materials are monofilaments. What? Yes. Yeah, come on, Trevor. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, science. It's true. That's not what the shootout says. Mine's are being blown across the country. Across the world. That's not what Stren says. That's not what Stren (laughs) and like Berkeley say. It drives me crazy. They're like, here's your monofilament and here's Uh, your fluoro options. Anyway, it's so ingrained in the industry and that's what I'm saying. But, But mono or monofilament simply means that the line is one extruded strand of material. One. Mono. And that can be fluorocarbon or nylon. And yes, both nylon and fluorocarbon are monofilaments. Another choice used in gear fishing is braid. I fish that when I go to saltwater, right? Sometimes smallmouth bass with a gear rod. And that is not a monofilament. That's braided. Well, braided. Anyway. Multifilament. Multifilament. Thank you. Polyfilament. Uh, but in, polyfilament. Poly, <laughs> I don't know, because then you had, let's not even bring that in. Poly means something else. Non-binary filament. No, don't even do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong not with that. Not that there's anything no, wrong not at all. Who can make assumptions <laughs> about the fish you fish for and the way you fish for them? Austin. It's all fact. <laughs> no, seriously. In fly fishing, all of our tippets are monofilament. Really, all of them. And yes, this is a confusing mistake that is very common in our industry. I seriously think, I think the companies have just gone along with it because they're like, man, everybody just says mono when they mean nylon. So anyway, I figured I'd clear that up right away just for the sake of this discussion. Anyway, we're talking about nylon and fluoro. So here we go. Streamers. Let's start with streamers because this might be the simplest scenario. My favorite. It's it's Matt's uh, favorite way to fish with streamers. He fishes with streamers in his uh, in his Ooh, in his yeah. sleep, <laughs> but but not so much in in the daytime. No, anyway, start with streamers. I do think it's the simplest, and maybe I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. But how about it? Let's say we're fishing with streamers on a floating line with a nine foot leader. Uh, what tippet are you using, and what are the factors that lead to your decisions, guys? I can tell you right now, I'm not fishing a nine foot leader when I'm fishing streamers. I'm just I'm, I'm just trying to start somewhere. I'm, hey. I get it. <laughs> go, go I'm ahead. just saying I don't. Hey, some guys no, do. Go ahead. Though. I don't. I, I won't. If I'm if I put a streamer yeah. on, tell me mo- about your, most si- times, your scenario. Yep. I want 
a very uh, z- like zero X to one X. And and honestly, as bad as this okay. is, a lot of the time it is. I don't want to lose it. Like I don't want to lose fair. a big, giant, articulated fly that took me thirty minutes to tie. And most times, I'm a I'm a situational streamer fisherman. I will absolutely throw streamers when I feel like that's the absolute best tactic. Yeah. To present and catch fish, right? Because I'm all about catching fish. And I think in the boat is when I f- I'm fishing a big river and I need to cover yeah. a lot of water. I think that's a wonderful tactic to cover. You cover a lot of different fish in that scenario. So yeah. I find, you know, four or five feet of a zero X tippet off my 25 or no, it's a, it's a, it's about a 15 foot sinking sink tip. Um, sure. That's it. That's all I need. I don't think the fish spook on the sink tip, so I want less yeah. tippet in there because I'm I'm casting close to obstructions bank, and the smaller tippet lets me be more accurate on the cast. Um, the thicker tippet. Yeah, the thicker tippet, and you know it helps me. It turns the fly over. I'm I'm fishing a big head banger. You guys know how heavy those are. I keep saying yeah. the head banger because that's like the only streamer I fish. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Rich Strollis. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's durable. You know, you got to do something silly to break off zero X. Um, and I just don't feel. And maybe I'm not a good numbers streamer guy because of this. You know, I just don't think it matters that much when the when the bite's on. I feel like zero X isn't gonna scare fish in a big river system. And I'm not waiting. I'm, I'm boat fishing. So you opened up a lot there. He talked about turnover. <laughs> and But one of the things I want to go back to, one of the first things you said was you don't, you're using a thicker and stronger tipper because you don't want to lose it. Now, why would you lose it if you went, if you were on 5X? Why would you lose the fly? Um, honestly, I've, I've set the hook before. Mm. You know, when I'm strip setting, I've, I've snapped flies in fish's mouth a lot that yeah. way. First mistake. So I'm, I'm more Same. comfortable with a heavier tippet <laughs> strip setting. Right on. I was thinking in a tree too, or in the yep. brush or the log, you're t- trying to get cast tight to structure and you do hit that log and it, whatever. You can pull limbs out with OX, you know? Sure. I'm the same way. I'd rather, I'd rather be OX, 1X, sometimes 2X, depending on the size of the, th- the streamer. About the smallest I ever fish is 3X. Um, what, what about the rest of you guys? It's funny to hear you say the smallest. You fish is 3X. So in our streams that we have around here, at least, my average streamer size might be two and a half, three inches at the longest. Inches, yeah. Yeah. And eight pound or 3X is pretty much all I fish off the mono rig. Yeah. If I'm fishing out of a boat on a floating line or a sinking line, excuse me, I might fish three feet of 12 pound and that's it. And, you know, a heavy, fast running river. Um, Yeah. Somewhat similar to Matt, I guess, on, on my approach are you on fluorocarbon yeah i mean if i'm on a sinking line i'll just throw maxima right on sure which is nylon yeah maxima yeah. chameleon you mean yes it could be ultra green yep. i guess too yep. yeah you care about the uh the thickness there so you don't break off yeah i was saying to a guy the other day about this we are stripping our flies we're moving our flies so it's kind of the flies coming this way and maybe the fish comes and eats it and turns away and goes back to the log and then you're setting the hook well you're going this way the fish is going that way and everything's kind of going fast and man i don't want 5x i yeah. know that i that guess peak, i could tolerate 4x peak force right, power Trevor. yeah right yeah no i just think i it's 100% the scenario that i 
And the reason why, I mean, I think you could fish a streamer on 5X some of the time, but when sure. you get that type of a situation where the fish is going one way, you're going the other, and you're trying to strip set, the peak force that you're dealing with there is pretty high. Mm. Um, I've, I've tried to get away with 4X to nymph, you know, to have like one tippet that I right. can use kind of for everything. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I've paid for it multiple times with a broken off fish. I know. And uh, often a better fish on a streamer when I try to switch over. So now I just keep, you know, I'll keep it on a little loon rigging foam. I'll just keep mm-hmm. my streamer, tip it, all that stuff. And I'll typically switch out if I'm going to switch tactics. Do you guys switch off, you know, that whole leader or that tippet section if you switch to streamers? That's what I do too. Same yeah. as you. Yeah, I do the yeah. same thing. Just have them all pre-rigged. Yeah, so fast. It is fast. The other yeah. hard thing about fine tippets or thin tippets it can be hard to tie good, strong knots on heavy wire hooks. So even if you do a you know six or eight turn clinch, I have sometimes issues with a thin diameter tippet holding well to a large diameter uh, hook shank. Yeah, or do you? A hook that's guide. a real thing. Yeah, yeah. That mm-hmm. Davy knot won't work. That, that's fair. Like a Davy, as much as I love the Davy, that is not good, right? So you no. can use a double Davy there, or honestly, for me, I'll do a uni knot there if I'm using uni a knot. thin. Yeah. relatively thin. Like if I was going 4X on a on a number four You ever hook, tied a trilene knot? That works too. No. Which is like a loop into the eye and then a clinch and you come back yeah. through the loop mm-hmm. and that'll hold. But yeah, I and well, nighttime so, too, I run into issues with this those eyes anything, with any tip that, that's under eight pounds, I'd say. Um, so, so Matt, if you're running OX, uh, you use a loop knot? I know this isn't a... A knots podcast, but seriously, the knot on that OX, you you use a loop knot? Yep. Do you? Yeah, I don't seem to have any problems, but I also, what Trevor just said, I'm like thinking I fish, my standard trout bit is a number four. And I and you could consider it a streamer, and it's on my line. I'm going to beat that up. I'm going to believe, what's he doing? What? He just gave up the... No. He just gave up this trumpet and superfly. <laughs> yeah. Did I say? Oh. Back it up. Oh, you oh, did it again. Oh, I got to bleep it out twice. Oh. Uh. <laughs> the secret sauce. Trumpet and superfly, bud. Oh, my God. <clears throat> Damn. You can't even trust him anymore. <laughs> I'm sloppy tonight, boys. Oh, slippity sloppity. <laughs> too much anyway, broken I'm heels. not much of a loop knot guy. I'm really, I'm, I don't, <laughs> I don't do the loop knot much but then again like matt you said ox and i'll do that i will i'll do that on the biggest flies but i guess it's kind of rare well i do that well like 12 pound trevor like that's i mean that's yeah pretty that's ox isn't it It depends on of course yeah yeah 12 to 15 is what i fish at night yeah 12 pound chameleon is 013 and that's what i use at night yep and i don't use a loop knot to those flies that we fish. I nope, don't care. Either. I don't think the trout, if I thought the trout care, trust me, I'd do it. I don't think they mm-hmm. care. Yeah. Another, I think, sort of related thing, which I'd like to get to while we're in this streamers section, Matt, you brought up turnover. And I have a problem with turnover. I have a problem with the way people think about turnover. Put it this way. If your tippet was 5X, Matt, that headbanger would go out there. I don't know that mm-hmm. I agree that you need OX to help it turn over. That sinking line that you're talking about attaching it to, that thing is going to turn it over. And you could have it on a floating line and in a, in a nine-foot leader, which I started with. Nobody wanted to talk about. <laughs> we want to talk about sinking lines and mono rigs. None of this floating line. Sure. 
two foot long. Anyway, you get my point. Sometimes I see people try to roll cast those mm. flies and maybe not a you know a massive articulated fly, but streamers. They try to roll cast a, a woolly bugger, let's say a size six with dumbbell eyes. And that's I guess that's what I meant by turnover. I get that. With that that particular on, cast. On the weakest casts, on the cast that need that last little bit, mm-hmm. the EOX will help you. I understand what you're saying there. And the other part to this, I don't know if we exactly touched on it, but I will use typically fluorocarbon unless it's nighttime, just in which I use Maxima. But I like the fluorocarbon for its abrasion resistance. I do think it makes it a little bit of a difference when you're banging up your tippet oh, yeah. on the bottom or your fishing streamers. I, I do think the fluorocarbon per diameter holds up a little bit better for that kind of wear and tear. Oh, yeah. It was early 2000s when I first became aware of fluorocarbon. And I was like, I'm not paying that. I catch enough right. fish with this nylon stuff. Yeah. And then uh, my buddy Steve lent me a couple spools. I lost mine. I lost all my nylon stuff. And we were halfway through the day. And Steve Sawyer, you remember him, Matt? Yep. Uh, lent me his extra spool of fluorocarbon or two. Right away, I go, oh, this is pretty different. And that's what yeah. it was. Trevor was abrasion resistance. I've yeah. been on fluoro ever since if I'm underneath. And I would not argue it real adamantly. Uh, for me, that's I like that advantage. I think you get at least twice, maybe three times the abrasion resistance compared to uh, nylon. Yeah. And there's a lot happening down there when you're presenting streamers. And even, the, you know, if you're after big fish, maybe they do have some teeth. You know what I mean? Like that one Matt lost. That's right. It had some yeah, teeth. It bit right through his articulated wire. <laughs> That's right. We need bite bite guards, bite wires. Yeah, like bike fishing when you're going for those big high 20s. Yeah. That's right. Matt's line. It was like 17 inches. It was like a 16-inch creek chub. <laughs> he followed yeah. the sucker. He's on yeah, the whitefish. That's fish. right. That's damn, right. We know damn whitefish. <laughs> Looked like a trout. Uh, last thing on these streamers. You Do you match the size of the streamer then to the, the you know ox one x two x i mean i think that's a good question because austin sort of brought up the variance in streamer right. size that we use and i know austin yeah. you use some like jig streamers and jig jigless streamers that are in a size <laughs> jig, that you jigless might, jiggy yeah right yeah. they're either jigged or jigless i, use I them do both. have a category you know we <laughs> uh, we fished and we played around with the uh, Gunner Brammer's pheasant bugger Love you know, that this thing. winter, right? And that, that, you yesterday. know, like if you consider that a streamer in a size four, yeah. I, I fished that on four, four X. Um, yeah. Right. But I'll put that right on my nymphing leader. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I think, so I do think that there's situational use for the smaller category of streamers or those like Euro jig streamers that are kind of buzzy. But <laughs> I think it's, my tactics dictate the tippet there more go. than yeah. right because that that yeah jigged streamer I'm fishing more on a dead drift and maybe animating it a little bit there but I'm not casting it and stripping it and and doing fishing it in the way that I would typically fish a streamer so and at that point too I might be trying to get the best sink rate on a 3.5 millimeter bead for example yeah, on my sure. craft for jig and well. There you go. Point. You want the you know the four X is going to cut through a lot more than OX, and it really does. It'll get it'll get through the current a lot sooner. If you don't believe that, like go try it. 
That's yep. the, I get a lot of questions yeah. again, like some of the same, same questions coming in, which is really cool. It's, I, I learn what, what confuses people or wherever people want to go next. And I get that a lot. Like, oh, do you think it really matters? I'm like, yeah, go try that yourself. And I don't care what the question is. The, it, people <laughs> will say, do you think this matters? Yes, I do, but you should go try it. People will say, what if I use this for building my leader section? What if I use this for my cider? Or what if I use this for my tippet? I'm like, you should go try it. I'll, I'm happy to give you my opinion, but don't believe me. You go try it. And that's how all of us have learned. That's for sure. You're out there on the water and you try it. And you go, man, that makes a big difference, doesn't it? In the sink rate of OX versus 4X. Absolutely. Whether it's after a fishing trip or at a backyard fire, you can bet the Trout Bitten crew has a case of new trail broken heels along with us. It's honestly our favorite beer. This hazy IPA is smooth and full-bodied. Hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby red grapefruit. Broken Heels is a keeper. New Trail Beer is proudly brewed in Williamsport, Pennsylvania and delivered cold to your favorite craft beer retailer every week. At New Trail, it's not about being the best angler. It's about getting out there. So enjoy nature's moments and reward yourself for a day well-fished with New Trail Broken Heels. It's Trout Bitten's favorite beer. Tactical Fly Fisher was founded by Fly Fishing Team USA angler Devin Olson to bring anglers cutting-edge gear and techniques from the international competitive fly fishing scene. Tactical Fly Fisher's aim is to help you improve your angling ability so you can have more fun on the water. Whether you need some flies, fly tying equipment, or a new rod or reel, they've got you covered. Head on over to tacticalflyfisher.com and use the code TBPOD10, that's T-B-P-O-D-1-0 to get 10% off flies, fly tying supplies, or terminal tackle. Let's move into dry flies then. So sometimes I see dry fly fishing as the opposite of streamer fishing. What I mean by that is that we're on the surface instead of below it. On the surface with dry flies instead of below it with a streamer. And we're aiming for dead drifts on a dry fly instead of moving and stripping the streamer. So how does fishing dry flies change what we do with the tippet or the decisions that we make? Let's say we're fishing dry flies. We're trying to get great dead drifts by building some necessary slack and grace, as I like to call it, into the delivery of the dry fly so it can drift, well, dead drift naturally. How do things change? What do you think about the tippet? I personally like to taper. I think it's more important to taper my tippet sections at that point. That's Um, a good point than the streamer where I may get sloppy and lazy and just use my OX, right? And just rotate through flies. Um, I'm way more cognizant on tapered tippet sections with the dry fly because I think it presents it nicer and it, and it, and it build, it can build that slack and I just feel more confident in how I'm presenting that fly to the fish with a tapered section. That's a really good point. I hadn't really thought of that, but yeah, we, I think we all do that. So what Matt, just to clarify what you're saying is as soon as you're fishing dry flies, you're not just thinking about the terminal end, not just like, let's say you're fishing five X to a number 14 parachute atoms. You're also thinking about, okay, how long is the four X before that five X? How long is that three X before the four X? Maybe even how long is that two X before the three X? You think about all that? Oh yeah. And I think, and I typically try to do 
like 2x, 4x, 6x, or 3x to 5x. Like I try mm. to skip one, space it that way personally. Um, and then I'll use the thicker sections a little longer, believe it or not, than the last section. Um, yeah. But that's just me. Everybody's back to your nice. try it. Like just go. Yeah. And, and I, I like messing with that stuff. And I know. mind you, I'm fishing bigger patterns out here. Um, Unless and, you're fishing and, a pseudo Cleon. I mean, come on, man. I'm not, well, the pseudo Cleon <laughs> in, in, in the fall, you'll see a big taper, Dom. But for most of my fishing right now, <laughs> it's, uh, it's bigger flies and, gotcha. and, and, yeah. and riffly water. And so that's just my situation and what, what I build the leader to, to suit what I'm fishing right now. Understood. I think that's a great point where we are fishing the streamers and we're fishing wet flies or we're fishing nymphs, which we'll talk about in a minute. I think we are mostly thinking about that terminal section, the last piece. But here, I'm with you, especially on that. I use a George Harvey dry fly leader a lot. And the build from 2X, 3X, 4X, 5X matters a lot to me. And I still have an article that I haven't published because I haven't been able to describe it well. Maybe I can do it in a video. Maybe it'll take, I don't know, kind of a series. Maybe we should tackle it here on the podcast. I haven't been able to really describe what it takes, Matt, to adjust. Let's say I'm switching from a, I don't know, a pseudo Cleon, which what's it, size 18? <laughs> They're like oh. 24s. Okay, well, that's crazy small. <laughs> so, right, we're probably fishing 6X to that. And then if, what if I really do want to go to a 14 parachute atoms right after that? It takes more than just that terminal tippet section changing. And there's a lot to it. And the reason that it is hard to explain is, like you said, Matt, it has a lot to do with, well, your personal style, your casting style, rather, and, and your fly rod, how much power you're putting into it in the cast, maybe the wind, there's so many elements. There's so many variables. So many. You know, a good example for people to try, Dom, if they wanted to see like that at home from experience would be to buy the the nine foot, you know, 4X coiled uh, leader from a store. From the fly shop, yeah. And, okay. and put that on and, and, and you try casting in, on a spring creek and let me know yeah. how that lays out. Yeah. The pseudo Cleon, or to your point, you build out the Harvey leader and you, you put some thought and effort behind building that last tippet stretch and then cast right beside someone that has that nice leader. And I guarantee you, it'll be much more, uh, pristine than the coiled leader. I was listening to John Shaner on the uh, Cortland Hooked podcast today while I was tying flies just a little bit. Cool. Shaner's awesome. And Shaner was talking about how on a dry fly, he wants to build that necessary slack in on the cast, not after. And many people are very focused on mending. And John Shaner's point was, I don't want to mend if I don't have to. And if I do have to mend, I actually set up the ability to mend in the cast. He says all that necessary mm-hmm. slack, because you can't mend, you can't effectively mend unless you have a little bit of slack to mend with. Sure. So if you lay a line out straight and then you mend, that, that fly's moving. Sorry, but that's happening. If everything's straight and then you mend, it's, it, it's moving. Anyway, I thought John Sheener had a great point. Great point. I, I forget exactly how he put it, but that was it. He wants to build all the slack in the cast 
or much of the slack in the cast. And then even that ability to mend. Everything happens in the cast. That was his point. And then he was talking about leader design and how important that is. And I thought that was really cool. And I spent a little bit of time with John Shaner. We spent a couple hours in, in, uh, in the Feathered Hook. And we were just going, I mean, just back and forth. It was fantastic. That guy is really into his dry fly fishing and his tactics. And we were talking about Harvey leaders. And there's a guy, a French guy, that John Shaner said he learned a lot about that guy's leader formula. And he shared that with me. And it's real similar to Harvey's, but there's some twists and turns. It's some really neat stuff. But anyway, the concept was the same. That Like you want, you almost want an underpowered cast, like a lagging cast that barely turns over. Mm -hmm. And yet I still want the ability to punch it out and turn it over and even do a forced curve cast going the other way. But I, what I'd rather do is what I call a lagging curve where it barely turns over and then it even doesn't and it lands exactly where I want it with precision, but still precision about where the fly lands and then all those nice S curves and the slack behind it. And then I can, I can mend. I can mend if I want to. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible just thinking of it in that in depth, right? Because I think people over or underthink that piece of fishing yes. and they just it's hard by the, by the leader over the counter and then right. they start fishing it. But Dom, to your point, what you just said, how you kind of like how that, how that technique displays the fly for you. And I'm thinking there's different scenarios. If I'm displaying a mayfly or a yeah. spinner, you know, I might want a gentle plop on the water or if I'm fishing, right. you know, terrestrials or hoppers, well, my yeah. leader might be a little bit more uh, just different because I like yeah. a plop and I don't need yeah. that gentle uh, presentation. And so yeah. at the end of the day, I think what we're saying with this is you should totally experiment because everybody's different. And that's the cool thing about fly fishing in general. You can kind of, we have all these recommendations and base scenarios and base ideas to try, but don't feel afraid to alter things and test things to see what gets you the best cast yeah. especially with these dry flies we're talking about yeah. yeah and with the advantage of tying your own there going off what matt is saying you know we often like to sometimes make uh, dramatic diameter changes to impact the turnover or impact uh, where the power gets placed yeah. within the nice. within the leader that a regular extruded fly line can't do you know you can't necessarily extruded make leader. a jump from diameter to diameter in one knot when you're getting a product that's run through a yeah. machine that has to have a specific diameter in order for mm -hmm. it to function. So being able to tie your own and experiment with your own brings lots of advantages with it. Yeah, for sure. Do you guys think that um, the material, whether it's stiff or soft, do you guys see a big, because most, some guys, right, will carry the same tippet, yeah. whether they're streamer fishing, nymph fishing, or dry fly fishing. Do you guys have a different dry fly specific tippet you use when you're fishing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think it matters. Um, just because of everything we're talking about in terms of our intention with each application and yeah. for, you know, for streamer fishing, I like using Maxima, um, and it's super stiff. It's definitely not super pliable, um, in its heavier diameters, but when it comes to dry fly fishing, yeah. I definitely want something that's going to allow for those S curves. That's, and again, I think we're talking I'm making the mistake of talking kind of this Northeast dry fly fishing because we don't think it's a mistake. Yeah. You're always going to find those fish that need that yeah. subtle presentation. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I'd rather plan for that, I think, and, mm. and assume that right. rather than the other direction. But I think that question's a good one. And I think it makes a big difference. Are you guys on nylon? Are you guys yeah. believers of nylon up top? So I was going to say, it depends on the tactic that I'm using to present these okay. dry flies. So let's assume I'm uh, fishing just a straight mono rig and I've got my uh, fluoro on and I'm, I'm nymph fishing and I see rising fish and I decide to go straight mm-hmm. to a dry or I go dry dropper. And maybe that's just a, a once in a while yeah. thing throughout the day. I do not take the time right. to switch out to yeah. nylon because uh, I don't think it matters a lot in a short time period. Now, if I'm going to fish dries all mm-hmm. day long, I'll probably fish nylon because it does help a little bit with staying above the surface um, and give me a little bit better flotation. I think that's true, but I don't get very hung up Yeah, on it. I think we all, uh, from what I see fishing with you guys, we all do this uh, dry flies with the mono rig more than ever. I know I do, and I've seen you do it. And I don't like doing it for long periods of time, but man, like you, Austin, I, first I might hit them with a dry dropper, and then there'd be an extra picky. I'll go, well, okay, here you go, single dry. And yeah, I used to change out. Yeah. And you could go back and read my article, and I haven't changed it even. Dry flies on the mono rig. I haven't changed it, but what I mm-hmm. used to do was change out from the tippet ring down, basically from the cider down. I would change out and go nylon. I don't do that much anymore. I just do like you, Austin. And I'll clip off, let's say I had 5X uh, to my nymph. And for me, that's usually Orvis Mirage, right. which is a pretty supple material to begin with. It's a fluorocarbon. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I feel like I get the necessary S-curves. Not, not as much as I would on a Harvey leader, but anyway, make it work. But I hardly ever am trying to do that in pools or flats or where I have to cast 30 feet or 40 feet. So when I choose like, okay, now I'm, I'm dry fly fishing and I am using that Harvey leader. I am a big believer in nylon and not just nylon. Um, my favorite by far is Rio um, Suppleflex. They call it Suppleflex. It has kind of a green label. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what it is. It's super supple. It is just a little bit less... Uh, the braking strength is just a little bit less per diameter. But for me, it's a great trade-off. It's a fine trade-off. And, well, it's more supple. It lays out in little S-curves and swirls even better. And, man, I love it. Especially when I'm carrying that the most, I only have it in 5X and 6X. And I'll use that 6X the most with Trico's. And I'm telling you, if I wasn't using that Rio Supple Flex, or I guess something similar that I don't know about, um, then I would probably be going down like 7X on like Orvis Super Strong, for example. Hmm. That stuff matters to me. To me, it does. Has anybody else played around back to the, the kind of switching over to fluorocarbon? I've tried because I have a tippet ring okay. to my tippet section typically. And there's been a couple of situations in which I've fished straight dry flies for an entire evening on the mono rig and yeah. I've greased my tippet and tippet ring with payette mm-hmm. paste yeah and just for that increased water shedding and buoyancy that it felt like it gave me in terms of picking my lineup off the water especially and a, a couple of situations in which i did it were situations in which i felt like i was fishing more still water maybe more of a pool where i really wanted to make sure i was able to pick my lineup without a whole lot of disturbance you're asking about grease in the leader yeah i'll do that pretty often when I'm not leaving line on the water. So if I'm fishing dry dropper pretty close to myself, then I'll tight line dry dropper with line off the water. Sure. But if I've got a cast that's just a little too far to to feel good about keeping that 
uh, tippet section up yeah. off the water for drag and other uh, consequences. And I will almost always grease that cider all the way up to the top to where it meets my butt section, uh, down to the down to the uh, tippet just above the dry. Even on my Harvey leader with no cider built in at all, even when I'm fishing pools, even long flat pools, I quite often, I'd say most often, I'll grease uh, everything down to about two feet from my dry, maybe even a foot to my dry, because I feel like I want to be able to pick that line up. I call it a precast pickup. You guys have seen me do this. We did a video mm-hmm. on it, and I kind of swirl things around mm-hmm. and then pick it up. And if you do it just right, and Trevor's doing the motion right now, if yeah. you do it just right, you can, that, that dry fly. Pluck it right off the water, right? Yeah, that's what it's like. It's like you just somebody reached down and plucked the dry fly off the water. There is no, there's no rip off the yep. water, and that it doesn't sink your fly. It doesn't sink your yep. fly. It doesn't scare the fish. And does a floating leader scare the fish in the most sensitive water? Sure, it does. But don't put that over the fish, you know. And that's why I don't grease it all the way up to my fly. I'll grease it like two feet back, mm-hmm. or maybe a foot back, depending on where mm-hmm. I know I'm going to land the fly and where I know I'm going to land the leader. And in that softer water, I feel like I have the ability to usually land the leader to the side of the fish, and it's not seeing my floating line. Well, my floating leader, I should say, my floating tippet section, which is what we're talking about. So that's a cool point, Trevor, to, whether we're greasing that yeah. or not. And there's advantages, disadvantages. You got to know what you're doing. You got to make know why sure. you're making that decision. I think that's a neat point. Real neat. Yeah. For over a decade, Smith Creek has provided innovative, high-quality fly fishing accessories designed to put your gear in easy reach, free up your hands, and keep our waters clean. For 2023, check out the all-new patented tippet holder. Each unit is individually machined from billet aluminum and anodized in two eye-catching colors. They hold up to five tippet spools with a spring-loaded plunger that is quick and easy to use, keeping your tippet spools right where you need them. Also, the brand-new Rod Clip Plus comes with an improved 304 steel pin plus a carabiner clip, giving you two ways to attach it. All Smith Creek products are built guide tough and backed by solid customer service. To learn more about Smith Creek products, visit their website at smithcreek.co. All right, so how about this? While we're still on dry flies, you guys going down to like 8X, 9X on dry flies? Do you think that's necessary? Do you find that? <laughs> 12X. <laughs> Trevor's like, 12X. you don't like 9X, Trevor? What's the matter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I get mine from France now. Yeah. No, seriously, I had somebody message me just yesterday uh, that they fished size 26, 20, uh, 26s and 28s of midges. And so he goes down to 8X. I don't, I mean, maybe, I, don't, I just don't see where that works. The 8X and Go ahead. that small, because I fish that small. I fished that small on Western tailwaters. With nymphs and the smallest I'll go is six X. What about dries though? What I mean, about dries? It's just one of those things, is it I don't know. I, I guess I can't say the smallest I've ever fished on a dry fly was a size twenty four. Okay. And I would say at one point I had seven X in my vest for Same. the the shallowest water usually coincides with the smallest bugs. Yeah, yeah. And that's when I would put seven X on to try to fool some fish. Um, yeah. If I was confident that, you know, I wasn't breaking flies off left and right. Uh, 8X, 9X, I mean, is it really <laughs> going to give you that much advantage? Well, this guy thought it did. It, but, and yet, the reason he got in touch with me is that he's like, I keep breaking these fish off. 
Oh, sure. like, do I really need the A8X? And I'm like, well, you got to the, I thought it was a great question, you know, and but we emailed back and forth a couple of times. I was like, well, you, you found the difficulty of it, right? Like you may sure. be able to get better presentations. Well, technically better sure. presentations in his situation on the 8X, but is it worth it? Like you're breaking off the better right. fish. Okay. You can land the 10 inches, the 14 and maybe even a 16 inches. But if you get the fish of a lifetime, you're not landing them. I'm sorry. You're not landing them on 8X and 9X. You're just not. Unless mm. every single star aligns, you're not going to land them. Nope. And I'm not, that's, I don't like fishing that way. I don't like feeling like, well, I hope this one's 10 inches. <laughs> I'm yeah, thinking. I mean, it's like, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> as long as the tippet fits through the eye of the tw- side yeah. of 24, tie it on. You know, we're a lot I of also this- feel like, <laughs> please. Sorry. I just feel like there's this push a little bit and it's not like this drastic push but i just feel like there's a little bit of push in the industry to get smaller x that is higher pound in test yeah and and in doing so you're kind of like sacrificing that flexibility right and that limpness that That's we're true really too. saying is so you're sort of like making this concession to go to 7x but now 7x is like 10 pound and now you've now you've all <laughs> of a sudden that now stuff. that 7x right yeah but I, i'm exaggerating right but that 7x that's that's whatever six pound isn't the flexibility that you wanted in the first place so i feel like you'd be better off going with 6x that was flexible and that laid down nicely sure. right you know so i, I said at what like, po- i mean dom you said it at what point is enough enough, right? Like, okay, you've yeah. proven to yourself you can catch a 10-inch fish on 9X tippet, but, like, take a step back. Should, like, does it matter? Like, okay, maybe I should just go fish a different yeah. stream if what I have to do is put that much thought into catching yeah. a 10-inch wild trout mm. and, right. and likely later the latter part of the seasons when they've been mm. pressured and – their metabolisms shot, you know, I don't know. And that's just me assuming I know in the winter we, we can have uh pretty epic midge hatches and Your midge oftentimes hatches. you don't, you know, you don't hear people fishing that stuff that in the, in the depths of winter eight X and I'm not saying seven X seven X has been around for a while. Um, I just, I don't know. I, at what point is it like, all right, I'm going to go crack my broken heels and go walk a brookie stream or something. like. <laughs> As we were talking about this, earlier I said it was a George Harvey book called Memories, Patterns, and Tactics. And that's his second one. I have that too. But the one I was thinking of, I just looked on my bookshelf. It's, it's George Harvey, Techniques of Trout Fishing and Fly Tying. And this was one of my first and most influential books. You guys all know that I'm a big Joe Humphreys guy. But this one also really influenced me. And in this book, that I'm actually holding right now. Harvey says, he gives the example. Harvey is not a believer that trout are leader shy. And he's talking about dry flies. And he gives the example of how he was uh, basically chumming, like goofing around. Like they were eating like crickets. I think it was crickets. And it, he'd throw a cricket in the water and, you know, it would drift down and a fish would eat it. And then he started putting like uh, pieces of leader, like taking a six inch piece of leader, tip it rather, and putting it into, you know, I'm sorry, but poking it into a cricket for all of you who are offended by killing crickets. I'm sorry. But anyway. <laughs> so he Stop did. fishing, too. Stop fishing. Yeah. You're anyway, so he did that, and the fish would eat it. They didn't care. 
think he says he's doing like 12 and 14 pound uh, Mason hard. Remember that stuff? It's like Maxima Chameleon. Mason hard monofilament is what he was using. And he put that, and then the trout don't care. The trout don't care. What They are not leader shy, was his point. They are not tippet shy. They are drag shy. And his point, and throughout this book, his point is that if you can get a drag-free drift, if you cast properly, you will get a drag-free drift on your dry fly without going down. He was saying even without going down to 6X. And now, I mean, I regularly go down to 6X with my trichos. Uh, but if I would try harder, I could probably get those trichos to drift quite well on 4X, especially with the softer tippets that we have now. And that's what Harvey was doing, what, 30, 40 years ago. Um, that's the point, is that they're not like it. leader shy, they're drag shy, that we don't need to go down to 8X to get good drifts. You simply need to improve your presentation. And maybe you need to improve your leader build. Right. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like it too. Yeah, I mean, I think those are those are wonderful things to consider as one ventures out and their main goal of the day is the fish dry flies. I think what we're saying is you should put some more thought into how you're going to present that fly and maybe think about the presentation tactics and the leader build as, you know, just like Dom said, as opposed to worried about the lightest tippet and that's going to somehow be invisible to the fish that are lying underneath the surface. That's probably not the case most of the time. I think you started it with our dry fly section here. Matt was saying it's not just about the terminal tippet, but it's about the you know, if you're ended in 5X, not just about the 5X, also about the 4X, the 3X, and maybe even the 2X, how you build that dry fly leader at the end, that whole taper and then the end, that's a lot more important um, on these dry fly leaders, for sure. So, all right, then, when we uh, think about nymphing setups, how does your tippet choice change? This will be our last section. For me, whether I'm fishing under an indie or on a pure tight line system, the tippet choice is pretty much dictated by other things, not whether it's an indie or a tight line. It's the other things like fly selection and weight type. Like for example, I don't like putting split shot on 6X. I have done it. I will do it. Okay. But anyway, it's fly selection and weight type that dictate my tippet choice. But I guess there's a lot to it too. So let's set this up. Let's assume we're trying for dead drifts on a nymph, good dead drifts. And what choices are you making for tippet then? And how does that, how's that different than streamers or dries? So what changes as you keep fishing and adjusting to those conditions? I mean, I fish year-round just like the rest of you, and I would say that I am either in 4X or 5X. Yeah. Like, that's 98.5% of the time. Uh, That's what I'm fishing. I feel like I do fairly well, um, and I don't, whether it's winter, summer, fall, doesn't matter. I'm fishing those, I would say, most of the time, and I don't see there being too many scenarios where anything lighter is impactful. But having said that, I'm not fishing, you know, even if I'm fishing a size 20, my 5X will go through the thread of a size 20. Oh, yeah. And I f- have fairly good success with that. Um, there's been one scenario where I'd fish 6X with, um, you know, size 22s and 24s. Sure. And I let those flies dictate my tippet selection at that point if i had to go to flies that low is that because they have more flexibility you mean it, well it's the diameter smaller on the 6x for me it was easy to thread huh. the eye of the hook through <laughs> through 
with 6X than it was with 5X. No kidding. Honestly. I mean, that, that was one of the primary reasons for it. But most people will say, you know, well, you got to use 6X when you're fishing this river. And it's <laughs> like, well, maybe because you're using size 22 and 24 flies. And that's not uncommon in Western tailwaters. Right people fish yep. incredibly small patterns. And, you know, if you don't want to sit there and try to jam 4X or 5X through the eye of a size 20. I mean, do you guys ever try fishing 22 and 24 nymphs? Yeah. They're tiny. Yeah. I'll fish that small. I'll go down to 6X, which is my, I'm going to say it's my thinnest nymphing tippet. But I'll use 6X fluorocarbon. Uh, 20s and under. 20s and 22s. Really, 22s are the smallest nymphs that I fish around here. And even sometimes with 18s, although a lot of my 18s are 1X short, more details. But I do it, Matt. What I was saying, like for flexibility, almost like what we were thinking with the dry flies. If you take a 3X tippet to a size 22 pseudo-cleon, Matt, yeah. yeah. Right, it's just stiff. stiff. It doesn't. It doesn't want to move anywhere. And you can lay it on the right. water with perfect, uh, you know, sure. S curves, and it's got a little bit of forgiveness, grace to move around. But whatever. If you put it on five X, it's a lot uh, more supple, right? And a lot, a lot more flexibility, as I'm saying, to that, mm -hmm. to that dry fly. Take the same concept underneath. And when I fish a zebra midge that's a t size twenty two, I don't really like fishing it on a four X. Sure. Maybe it's just in my head because I know there's plenty of people who do quite well. Size 22, 4X, if you can get it through the hook. Um, I, that's when I'll go down and sort of match the tippet size then to the fly size. For me, it's not about getting through the eye. It's about the flexibility or the suppleness. I think in my own head anyway, that it allows that zebra midge, size 22, to just kind of flex around and, and perhaps look more natural. Trevor? Yeah, I, I think I care a little bit less about the flexibility of my tippet mm. when I'm nymphing than I do if I'm fishing dry flies and trying to present, you know, a smaller dry fly. Sure. But I, I agree with you that my matching of the size of fly has a little bit to do in my mind as well with the natural kind of movement of that fly in the water. And also um, to an extent, to Grobe's point, the practicality of getting that tippet through a small window. But I, I will say hmm. one thing that came to mind while we're talking about it is just that I, I sometimes will change tippet so that I can, I will change tippet and weight of my rig to accommodate certain situations that I may want to kind of just use that as a tool. Nice. Um, and, and I think Bill does this a lot as well. You know, if he's in a situation where he may want to, where he knows, you know, this is a river that I'm going to fish a lot of streamers yeah. back and forth with nymphs, and it doesn't matter. This isn't a stream where you have to fish small nymphs. Then maybe I'm going to go in with 3X. And I did this recently. I, a couple of weeks ago, I went to one of our our favorite rivers yeah. and fished 3X the whole day and switched back and forth between a two-nymph rig and streamers and was able to do that pretty seamlessly because I had an overweighted nymph rig that kind yeah. of minimized some of the downside of that 3X in terms of its cutting through the water and its mm -hmm. lack of flexibility. Um, and I really, I didn't feel like I had to, I didn't feel like it was a big concession. I felt like I caught fish where I should catch fish. I felt like I was able to switch it with a little bit less you know, annoyance, I guess, back and forth. Yeah. I, I felt like I was able to switch maybe twice as often as I normally would just because it was so easy to do it. Um, not that it's hard to switch off of a loon rigging foam, but it it just was that much oh, easier. Yeah. And so it makes a difference. Uh, yeah. Yep. 
So there are situations in which I'll push those boundaries just because you can and because you can make it do what you want to do. And it really proves the point of how much flexibility there is in that. I think people get stuck into like, I've got to fish smaller to catch fish. And back to our original point, a lot of it's about the drift. I think that's neat where you're giving the example of, once again, you tried it and I guide enough and I'm in touch with enough people that tell me, oh yeah, I never even thought about fishing 3X with these nymphs. Like we should try it. Sure. <laughs> if yeah. Everybody wants to Why go not? 6X, 7X, <laughs> but how many times have those same people fished 3X or even 2X? Like, go ahead and try it, yeah. and you might sure, <laughs> you might sure. have the best day of your you know, of your season. And actually, has you'll realize right. it's not because I fished 3X. It's because my presentation yeah. was good, whatever. <laughs> I was in a good rhythm. And, sure, and maybe yeah. it did help, your, help, actually helped your presentation. Maybe you got a better tuck cast. Austin, you're thinking yeah. of something. Yeah. Um, that, that is a cool point, Trevor. I like that you use the tactics to sort of accommodate one equal tippet section throughout yeah. the day. Uh, 90%, I'd say 90% of the time, my terminal tackle or my terminal leader for nymphing is 5X. There's two scenarios where I may change that. Um, one is, let's say I'm in a, a river that I know holds large fish and I'm in a spot that uh, is likely to hold a large fish, but there's all sorts oh, yeah. of uh, debris or logs or rocks and stuff that may abrade my tippet. And I'll probably go maybe straight 4X to that and feel pretty pretty good about modern oh, day yeah. 4X being very strong. Um, and then on the flip side of that, if I'm fishing super fast water uh, and the fish are eating really small flies, but I still need to get down, 6X is pretty accommodating uh, to that factor as well, not just for the flexibility, but just for the convenience of a, a thinner tippet to drop through the water for that advantage. Um, but to sum that up, uh, if you ask Joe Humphreys what matters, he'd say it doesn't matter the size of tippet you use hmm. as long as you make a good cast. And uh, that's exactly what we're saying yeah. here. If you can present the fly cleanly with some slack and stay in touch with it. There you go. And you just spent matter. a little bit of time with Joe Humphreys this weekend, didn't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I watched Wait, him do it. Do you, seriously, do you know what size tippet he was using? Was he nymphing? Yep. He, uh, he had a pretty tapered leader, but he was also nymphing right off of his fly line. So for that reason, he was nymphing directly underneath oh, yeah, his sure. rod tip, uh, pretty much. He wasn't casting very far. I actually asked him, I said, what's the what's the number one uh, mistake you see experienced anglers make? Mm, good question. And without hesitation, immediately, didn't even blink an eye, said, too much line. Too much line, too far away. <laughs> so, I mean, he, he proved that point, just fishing close underneath the rod tip. Even though he had fly line out, he wasn't getting a, a whole lot of residual sag. That's what I tell people all the time. I don't care if you do have a mono rig or a, a full tight line rig and you're out there. Ah, that's the. I wrote an article about that. The fundamental mistake, I think, of tight line anglers is you're trying to push it too far. You're taking away your tight line advantage. Hell, you don't even need a mono rig if you can stay right under your, under your rod tip or you're only fishing mm-hmm. 20 feet away. 20 feet. 20 feet. It doesn't matter. If you have, a, I don't know, two feet of fly line out, it's vertical at this point. It doesn't matter. And so your leader build hardly matters too. And so your tippet length or your tippet diameter hardly matters too. You get away with a lot more. Yeah. That's neat, spending a little bit of time with Joe Humphreys. But that, that's cool. Yeah, he's pretty pretty amazing. We fished a, a very rocky, bouldery bottom stream and yeah. uh, parked in an access pretty were, far up hill yeah and he walked straight down i helped him wait around and i was more nervous than he was but oh, he yeah. practically made it all the way across yeah. by the time each time he thought maybe all right maybe we'll make one or two casts and we'll mm-hmm. go back in you say nah 
one more move, maybe two. <laughs> he just kept going and going and going. Uh, it was great. What's he, 92, 93? He's 94. 94 now. Fantastic. Gosh, that's fantastic. That's where I'm going to be when I'm 94. Mark my words. That's where I'm going to be. Giddy up. I know. Giddy up. <laughs> I like it. Cool. Giddy up. Anything else on that, guys? What do you think? Anything we missed here as we went through sort of the streamers, the dry flies, the nibs? I noticed the dry flies were the most complex, right? Tippet selection yeah. and the things we think about with tippet are the most complex. But anyway, what do we miss? Yeah. I'll just maybe add that, add to that really quick. I don't think that's really surprising. When we think about the way we fish a nymph and the way we fish a streamer, I think it makes sense that, you know, the dry fly fishing can be the most complex. Yeah. When we consider um, tight lining to a nymph or, or uh, stripping a streamer, a lot of that is contact-based and uh, feeling mm, the resistance sure. of something very often. When we're fishing a dry fly, that's, that's the last mm. thing we want. We want to be out of uh, that resistance, mm. not feeling the drag or not feeling that connection. Um, and it all comes down to just matching the tippet to the tactic and allowing that to do the nice. work for you. 100%. Yeah. And test stuff out for yourself. I is. think we've made that point a few times, yep. but don't live in a self-imposed box of rules. You know, try things outside of what you normally think you have to and see if it works. If it works and you are allowed to get away with something that you're really hoping to get away with, or you can make a concession that really opens up a little bit of easier time on the water. So more power to you. Yeah, I told you, man, when I first started, I was really confused by the leader stuff and the tippet stuff, but I had enough time on the water and I had enough stubbornness, I guess, to go, I'm gonna, I guess I'll try it. And I, yeah, I'd somebody would tell me, hey, you should do, I don't know, this and that, and I'd do it. Then I'd try something else too. It works uh, by yeah. simply trying it yourself. That's the only way you can really understand it. No, I think everybody... Uh, Put, gave some wonderful points. Um, you know, as, as I was listening to you guys just speak, you know, one thing that pops into my mind is, and this goes back into situational, what the, where the angler's fishing and what type of water they're fishing. I find that all that, right, the tippet, the presentation, the build, really is important on slow-moving water, slower-moving mm. water, yeah. because the fish have more time to inspect those flies yeah. and everything about it. And if you end up, you know, I, I call it the cheater water. If you go into the fastest riffle, riffly water where the fish have less time to react, yeah. to inspect, I find the success is better. So you might have two different uh, experiences, hmm. right? You, yeah. you Maybe I'm fishing. This is just another thing we could talk about on another podcast, yeah. right? Like I could fish 3X one day in the in the pocket water and the fast current and bang them where Trevor might have been in the slower pools and mm-hmm. the slower runs and had a harder day. And did it have to do with the velocity and the time the fish had to inspect the patterns? Yeah. And, the, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty yeah. interesting and fun to think it about. Is. It is. So our buddy Bill is still out at camp. He's not with us. But I remember this. and I, I, I actually wrote this down because I wanted to bring it up. Bill said this one time. He said, many anglers seem to be thinking about how thin of a tippet they can get away with. That's kind of the thing these days. I was fishing with 8X. Maybe I should fish with 9X. <laughs> but Bill said that most of us here, the guys here, and the way he does it, I think most of us, are thinking about the opposite, really. What is the thickest and strongest tippet that we can get away with? And really, that's kind of the old school way of thinking. When I first got into fly fishing, they were like, well, use the strongest tippet you can. Sure. That's still my approach because, once again, I don't really care about the 10-inch fish. 
I care about them. I care about those pounders, those 12, 13, 14 inch. <laughs> I care about them. But I don't want to lose the biggest fish of my life because I was fishing eight, nine X or something like that. Sure. Right, and I'm right. not saying I'm, t- I'm totally opposed to it, but that's, that's for me personally. I'm thinking about the thickest and strongest tippet that I can get away with. Like it. I think there's an ethical question there too, that, you know, if you're, if you're, I think you mentioned this group. If you find that you're having to fish 7X to pick up fish, be realistic with yourself about your ability to land a fish in the water you're fishing. Right. That, you know, even if it's an upper teens fish or mid teens fish. And if you can't do that, given the flows and given the situation you're fishing in, I don't know that you have any business fishing (laughs) that pound, you know, that diameter of tippet just because it's the one that seems to work for you to catch a fish embedding right. a fly in that fish's mouth isn't isn't great for it yeah there's a lot to think about there too in the summer and you're playing them longer and all that that is good yeah. stuff yeah and like my buddy uh, matt grobe always says seven uh, x is for <laughs> i mean that's what he says <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with hey that. you can uh you can go to chopbitten.com right now and get your seven x's for shirts sticker sticker with uh with a t-shirt come uh package for (laughs) (laughs) 32.99 on the on the back is it on the back is me with my middle finger saying (laughs) i'm fishing (laughs) (laughs) yeah that'll probably sell Uh, so well (laughs) oh i know it would (laughs) (laughs) x. anyway hey matt you want to read us out yeah let's do it remember The Trout Bitten Project is a free resource for all anglers. The Trout Bitten website hosts over a thousand articles with endless stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and tags too. Be sure to find the Trout Bitten YouTube channel, currently featuring the Trout Bitten Tip Series, in collaboration with Wilds Media. These are short, useful, and unique tips for your fly fishing life. Thank you for listening to the Trout Bitten Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment, because that really helps. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water. Comes out, I see him, he's huge. One, two. He just beat your gear. Come on. This week's Sloop Singer. Another zinger for Sloop. Makes a heck of a bow and arrow cast. Oh, he did it again. What? He just gave up this trumpet and superfly. It's not what the shootout says.